Welcome back to Building Billions. I am beyond excited about today's conversation because little does Danielle know, I am a huge fan and she has really impacted my experience as an entrepreneur, my belief in myself, because she co-founded this company called Boss Babe. If you haven't heard of it, you gotta go look it up. They create unbelievable content specifically for women around the idea of making money and starting your own business and believing in yourself. And they have incredible content. Early on, I joined their group and was part of the content that they were putting out monthly to get women all across the globe connected to each other. Danielle has such an impressive background from where she started in the chiropractic space, moving into Boss Babe, and she is up to some really exciting things that she'll share towards the end of the episode that you're not gonna wanna miss out on. So let's just get this thing started. Welcome, Danielle, to the Building Billions podcast. Thank you so much for being on this show. I want to welcome you to Building Billions. This is a really cool moment for me to get to meet you because you are, without knowing it, one of the people who really inspired me in a moment where I didn't know what I was going to do with my career, where I saw my future. And so it is an honor to have you on this show and for us to get to discuss all of the cool things that you've done, but also some of the exciting projects that you're working on now and what it really takes to be as successful as you've been. So with that, let's get started. I got a lot of questions to ask. So, oh, go ahead. Thanks so much for having me on here. I just wanted to say like, it's such an honor to have this conversation. So an open book. So I'm excited to kind of reveal everything in my journey for sure. So I would love to know you're starting out phase? Where are you from? How did you get started in business and entrepreneurship? And uh, tell the audience just a little bit about your background. Yeah, for sure. So I was actually um, born in the UK, um, actually Nottingham, people know for Robin Hood mainly. Um, but I was born into a very, I would say like average working class family. Um, at that point, I had didn't really know any entrepreneurs around me. And I was that classic, um, you know, stereotypical question got asked when I was 14. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the list was the also the classic, the doctor, the policewoman, the nurse, the lawyer, all of these places. And at that stage, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't know what really is inspiring me at this point. I was never the kid that was like selling candy at the store or like, you know, selling the did the lemonade stands. I was the kid that had like four or five jobs at a time. Like I was the local babysitter. I was working in the shop. Like I was convincing people to give me jobs before I was of the age that really you should have had jobs because I wanted to earn my own money. So I always wanted to have this dependency that I could see that money allowed me. But again, my dad was an accountant and my mom was a teacher. Like entrepreneurship, the different types of jobs were just not the things that were around me. Mm -hmm. And so as I started embarking into my later schooling years, I just really started asking questions of the people I did get exposed to. Like, hey, what do you do for a job? And what does that look like? And so and a long story short, I ended up going into chiropractic because I met a chiropractor and he loved his job. And I was like, you know what? I'll do that. I like helping people. That sounds good. So I went to college, graduated and got headhunted for a job and was enjoying it. And so I graduated when I was 21, 22. I was always like a young one in my year. 
And when I was 23, I turned to my boss and I could see what was starting to happen. So what I noticed was I was making him a lot of money and I was really great at my role that I was doing. And I was like, hang on a minute. Like I'm like building this clinic on my own. He's not even here. I might as well be owning this clinic. So I literally on my lunch break at 23, I went and knocked on his door and was like, hi, I want to buy your clinic. And he was like, huh? He's like this 50 year old man. Like, what is this kid talking about? No one has ever approached him at this point. And I had no idea really what I was doing, but I knew that, hang on a minute, I was building an asset for him. And if I didn't buy it sooner versus later, I was effectively making it more expensive for me to buy it later down the line. So long story short, I ended up buying his clinic. I ended up doing um, partnerships um, with other people in the area. And I ended up becoming a owner of one of the fastest growing primary healthcare brands in the UK. And that was all great. Um, but what I started in 2016 was that I started having some financial freedom, but I realized I didn't actually have true freedom because I was tied to brick and mortar and I was tied to 15 minute appointments. I was still very much active in clinic as well as having physios and doctors at the clinic. I was still really, really active. And my dad had a skiing accident in 2016 where he hit the slopes at 68.9 miles an hour and fractured his pelvis completely. It was whole drama, helicoptered off the mountain, transferred hospital, told he would never ski again. He couldn't walk for three months. And in that moment, once I realized my dad was going to survive it, I realized that I actually, although I had some financial freedom, I had, I didn't really have true freedom. I had to leave him and my mom in a foreign country and head back to my work um, because I built a business that actually didn't support the lifestyle that I wanted. I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to be able to move countries. I wanted to be able to build something that created for some flexibility. And that wasn't what I had created at the age of 26, 27. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I think I started just, I I realized this about myself. I believe in seasons and I believe in chapters. And most people feel that once they embark on a chapter, they have to see that chapter all the way through because it's what they committed to when their feelings or their circumstances were in a certain position. What I've always allowed myself to do is be okay with chapters coming to an end and moving on to the next chapter, which is perfect for my, you know, life at that point. And so I realized whilst I was really proud of what I had built up until the stage, it actually wasn't going to serve me into the next chapter that I wanted to go in. And so I started looking at online businesses and I started exploring what this digital marketing whole thing was about. I started exploring like who was doing podcasts. I started looking at Amazon businesses, all these things that would allow me to be location independent, which I knew was one of the most important things for me at that time. And so embarking on this, what I did was most entrepreneurs do is you start asking questions. And as you start asking questions, you start hearing either similar answers or start seeing a problem that a lot of people had. And at that point in my life, this was 2017, I realized that I was not alone as an ambitious woman, but I didn't know anyone around me. So I noticed that none of my friends, they thought I was absolutely crazy for wanting to leave chiropractic like they were like you went to school for this what are you doing they're like doctors and lawyers they're like 
absolutely think I'm insane. They also could not get their head around me saying, I want to earn more money. Like I came from that place where, you know, oh, it's kind of greedy to have a lot of money or bad people have money, uh, you know, evil. They're doing some, you know, they're screwing someone over along the way. And so that was very much the um, society that I've been brought up into. So when I started saying like, hey, as a 26, 27 year old woman, like, I'm not happy earning six figures. Like I want to be earning more than six figures. I want to be earning, you know, millions a year. No one, absolutely no one understood that. And so as I started embarking on this online world, I realized that lots of other women felt that same way. And so really that's how then my first online business was born. Boss Babe was out of a realization that me and then who I co-founded it with also called Natalie, my business partner, we had very similar challenges. We felt isolated as women entrepreneurs. We felt like we were a little bit, we felt awkward about saying that we wanted to earn more money. And we coined the term unapologetically ambitious. We, we wanted to create a community where you could be unapologetically ambitious and that be absolutely okay but more than okay that was celebrated it was celebrated that you wanted to earn more money because guess what when you earn more money you can do more good in the world and you can actually achieve the lifestyle that you want for you your family your friends the charities that you want to support and create the change that you want to see so that's really where my step into this digital space really started was 2017 into 2018 which is when we founded boss babe Unbelievable. And the success that you've had with Boss Babe has been incredible. Did you know that that was what was going to happen when you look back at it now? Did you have like those ideas and those visions and it turned out exactly how it is or did that not work that way? Not at all. And I think any entrepreneur, I mean, I've yet to come across an entrepreneur who's like, oh yes, I saw this happening exactly this way. And it, it, it was the textbook way of was doing it and it all worked out fine. No, not at all. Um, I think really speaking to, we were like really naive in the sense of we, so when I was doing chiropractic, I had a mentor and he asked me how much I wanted to earn a year. Mm-hmm. And so in dollar terms, I was probably earning around like hundred thousand dollars and I was like okay two hundred thousand dollars is what I want to earn a year mm-hmm. and he's like okay that felt like a stretch for me at that time then he said double it and I was like four hundred thousand dollars a year are you freaking kidding me how am I ever gonna do that like I I mean my dad at this point just put it in context my dad was earning like sixty thousand dollars like it's not it was not, I was not around wealth at all and so when he started stretching me and saying like this four hundred thousand dollars that's when I also started looking at opportunities different. I think when you start reprogramming your mind and whether you're at that $400,000 mark or that, okay, I want to earn 40 million a year mark. Like it always has to be like when you set that goal stone, you start looking at situations differently. And I think that's how we change situations we're in is by really creating, okay, well, what is the vision I want? What do I want to earn? And then working backwards to how is that possible? And so when I started doing that, I set this $400,000 a year mark. And although it felt unattainable, when we did launch Boss Babe, because we followed, or because I knew I didn't want to be earning $100,000 anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we put a stake in the ground that we wanted to be earning significantly more. That first year, we were in a way caught by surprise that we were actually in our first year of business did like $1.4 million, which for two women in their 20s at that point who neither came from wealth was kind of like a oh 
oh, okay, we can actually do this. And then it allowed us to, what I would describe as we set and we calibrate our thermostat to understand, okay, what is actually possible in this space? And then how we went to grow that beyond um, that point as well. What are you most proud of that you've accomplished so far? I think the statistic, so I'm very like impact driven. Um, and when we first founded Boss Babe in 2018, we, the statistic of women starting businesses in the US was 22%. So 22% of businesses founded in the year um, 2017, 2018 was 22%. In 2022, that statistic was 48%. So out of all the businesses founded, 48% were founded by women. And I think that is probably the thing I'm most proud of because I really see how Boss Babe impacted that. You know, now there's lots of these, you know, women-led communities, but back then we were one of the first. No one else was really doing it. You know, we really were noticing a gap in the market and filled that and in doing so have allowed a lot more women to create financial independence themselves, which ultimately has a, ripple effect on where they can spend their wealth what they choose to spend it in um women's products and women's services um becoming better and better and you know actually being able to maybe leave relationships that are no longer serving them because they have their own financial security so there's a positive ripple effect that i also really see from that that i'm really proud of well and you can't even see the full effect i mean that stat is amazing but there are so many impressions and so many different people that you might not know. Like me, you you wouldn't know that you've impacted me without me telling you that you've impacted me. And that's the power of social media and the power of what you guys were able to see very early on. And, and you were first adopters in this space, which is incredible. So yeah. the impact, I love that you're measuring it with the stats, but the stats because I, I like we're freaks around stat about stats around here. It's like <laughs> everything should be measured and things don't go by feelings. But the cool thing about what you're doing is you can measure the stats, but there's also this additional layer of impact that has taken place because of the work that you've done where a big part of the impact is just immeasurable, but wildly life-changing for people. Yeah. And I honestly think that's the thing that's, you know, I, I don't think entrepreneurship is an easy route. I think it's a hard route, but also so is being employed. And I think you choose your hard by what you're really inspired by. And for me, I've always really been inspired by, okay, how can I actually, I like creating change and I like creating a difference. Like if I'm not actually doing something that's having meaning, uh, why am I bothering doing it in the first place? And I think that's what unites a lot of entrepreneurs is that they see something that they want to create change in and they have the ball, shall we say, or the vagina, so you can say it that way too, to go after that. And for me, that's what's been really powerful and important is, yeah, measuring the stats within the company. I'm kind of like, you now say like obsessed with, okay, like what is the data showing us? But then also it is amazing to hear those stories. And, you know, if you affect one person, not only do you affect that one person, but you actually affect that whole maybe entire family that he or she is in. And the ripple effect down to children and other generations or friends. And I've personally seen that firsthand too. I'm sure you have as well. Like what actually happens with your family when you start pursuing your dreams? How many of them start pursuing their dreams? Because they're like, wait, I can do this. I don't have to be in a nine till five. Mm -hmm. um, and this works for me. So yeah, I'm very grateful that I've been had the opportunity to do something I love so much. 
beautiful. So people probably look at you and think she is so successful. She's so confident. She has nobody can take away from you. I am certain that along the road, there have been major sacrifices that people probably don't see and aren't too familiar with. What would you say the biggest sacrifice is that you've made in order to get to where you are and share any insight that you have about your mindset around the sacrifice? So funny. Cause I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I've ever positioned them as sacrifices in my head. And that's also what I'm wondering. And I, I'm actually interested in whether other entrepreneurs see that too. It's like, oh, it was a decision that I made, but was it a sacrifice? Maybe some people would class it as. So for example, I moved from the UK to Los Angeles. So I sacrificed being close to my family and not necessarily seeing them as much as I would have done. But I knew that being in America was going to be so much better for the brand and for my career overall, but also I wanted to come. Um, And then I would also say, you know, they're definitely the hustle um, of working so incredibly hard. Like for me, it is not abnormal to work 80 hour weeks at times, but I don't necessarily see that as sacrifices. I, I enjoy it when I'm doing stuff. But sometimes work looks like doing a podcast. Sometimes work looks like flying to a seminar. Sometimes work looks like any of these other things. And so I just really hold space for they're not necessarily sacrifices for me but there are some other people might have positioned them that way and then also really vulnerably like I ended up getting divorced my relationship didn't um last the test of time but again I don't think that was I sacrificed my relationship I just think entrepreneurship grew me so much I was a completely different person when I met him at 18 to I was when I got divorced at 31 because how could I not, how could I possibly not have changed during that time? And I think when you are on, when you are doing something that requires you to evolve and learn at such a rapid speed, some people can stay with you in that journey and some people can't. And that is also okay. And so, yeah, some might be might say I'm sacrificing my marriage. I don't think I sacrificed my marriage. I just think it came to a natural end because we, the difference between us um, the mindset shifts between us became so great. It was like I was on AM frequency and he was on FM frequency. Like our radio white waves were just not able to like jive and communicate. And so that came to its natural end as well. Interesting. It's fascinating, you know, to think about how you're repositioning what a sacrifice is because I, I would define all of those as sacrifices that you made, but to your point, you're not really thinking of them as sacrifices because you love what you're doing. You measure what you're doing with stats. So it's worthwhile. It's not just like you're chasing something around that isn't real. It's very real. And so the sacrifices aren't really sacrifices, even though they are. Yeah. It's such, that's the thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I did a podcast interview the other week. And so he asked me, like, you know, do you have any regrets? And I was like, no, like I definitely have mistakes that I've made. But like, if I didn't make those mistakes, would I be in these positions now? No, like I really believe in that whole like sliding door concept. And so it's very hard for me to look back on anything and say, oh, I wish I'd done this differently because if I had, I then wouldn't have come to this point. And I'm always really grateful for where I am. And one of the pieces that I've really learned on my journey is to not be happy at the destination, but really learn to be happy now because otherwise you're just chasing. You're just chasing continuously and you'll 
and that doesn't feel good. So I really made a commitment to myself but always to be happy on the journey. And if it looks like 80 hours work weeks, cool. How, what, what about those 80 hour work weeks make me happy? Is it that I get to work with really cool people that I really enjoy? Is it that I have a culture that I'm enjoying? Is it that because I'm traveling and I'm speaking a lot? What is that that I get to be really grateful for? And then other times I'm like, oh, that was an easy week. I just worked the normal. And, you know, I ultimately would never, I think I'm just very, very grateful because this, the life that I have now is so beyond anything that I ever dreamed when I was a chiropractor or when I was 18 or when I was 21, when I was 23. And so it's very hard for me to, you know, not be in total gratitude for that. Beautiful. You know, I think about that often where 10 years ago, I couldn't have imagined where I'm at today. And then I think, oh, well, what's 10 years from now going to look like? Yes. But I was so like appreciative of who I was back then. And like this, I wasn't a kid anymore. I guess I was still in my early twenties, but I just didn't know things and I got to try new things and I would absolutely go back and relive that. But now I think, okay, I'm going to think that in 10 years from now about what I'm doing right now. And so how do you balance, everybody does this differently. How do you balance the, I want to be in this next phase of my life. I want to be able to do this next thing, accomplish the next goal while still totally appreciating the age you're in, the moment that you're in and the balance between the two. Great question. And if I, if I had, if I, if there was a magic answer for this, like that book's going to sell out. I think it's everyone's, everyone is different for me I've really realized that I do it in I live my life in seasons that's what I've realized and sometimes in a winter season and the winter season might be like buckling down you know not really seeing many friends not really prioritizing family just getting things done because things need to be done and then I see like my summer seasons and this doesn't necessarily correlate with the actual seasons, but then I see summer seasons like, okay, I'm on a roll. I planted seeds. Things are moving. Like things are easy. Things are in flow. Like life is like much easier on a day-to-day basis and nothing lasts. Like this too shall pass. Like I always think about that. Like things always come and go. And I really also realized that to feel the highs, I have to feel the lows. That was my biggest realization, right? Is if I was always happy, then would I actually, or would that really be defined as happy? Because that would just be by normal. So then that would just be like the flat line. So it's like, when you realize that to understand when you are happy, you also have to understand when you feel sad. I, I actually really enjoy the shit show that goes on behind the scenes of businesses. It's fun. Everyone's the same. We all have it. So um, yeah. So I was just saying, um, I realized like the polarity of life was actually what allowed me to know when I was doing well and when I wasn't doing well. So I think really getting my head around that allowed me, allowed me to see that balance is the same. Like, I think there's always times where family's going to take priority or business is going to take priority. And it doesn't mean either of those phases are necessarily easy. They just are those phases of things. Like, you know, when I was going through my divorce, I'll be honest, like it took a lot of time and energy for anyone who's been through a divorce. It's time consuming. And so therefore, like, was the business really getting my full, full priority at that point? If I'm really honest, probably not. Like it was probably like slightly shifting towards personal at certain 
certain weeks or certain months when there were certain things going on. And that's okay because then you get to swing it back and be like, okay, I'm completely free now. So let me double down on all of these things that need my attention. And so just really about, you know, the balance always shifts. I've heard people talk about work-life harmony and seeing it in that place of being like, you know, a way of like, it's not necessarily about trying to gain balance. It's about trying to like harmonize everything that you're doing to play a tune together. And so I think that's also a really good way of looking at it. Um, But if you beat yourself up too much about it, I think it's that guilt. So like, if you try and be everything to everyone all the time, then it's really difficult. Um, Darius, my partner and I, he's an entrepreneur too. And we have this system in the morning um, that we have a little whiteboard on our fridge and we have a scoring system, not to 10. So if you put a 10 on the board, it means like you are feeling freaking amazing. Like you're on top of the world today. You like so much energy, you're pumped, you're happy, like you're feeling great. And then obviously like the lower down the scores, it's like, hey, I'm feeling sad, I'm at low capacity, or I just don't really have energy. I'm in a bad mood, like whatever that is. And we put that on the board every single morning because what it allows us to see is let's say I'm at a 10 and he's at a five. I know that I can't lean on him that day. And actually, if anything, I need to be picking him up a little bit more because guess what? We all go out of balance at times. Like none of us are perfect. None of us are feeling tense. But when you recognize that and when you acknowledge whether it's your partner or you recognize in your own life, okay, this side of my life is taking a little bit more time right now. Work is more of a priority or family is more of a priority or my you know, parents like, you know, need a bit more attention or a moving house. Like you can just acknowledge that in a very similar system and be like, okay, work. Like you need to like go on, you need to be down at the five right now because house needs me at 10. But you know what? Next week that's going to flip. And so just, oh my God, I'm realizing how obsessed I am with numbers, quantifying stuff like I love this. It. I love it. really helpful for me. <laughs> I love it. We're numbers are a beautiful thing, but a lot of people just don't measure things. And it's wild when you do measure things like discipline really does create clarity. And when you have clarity, you're able to just move through life better. And I know I wasn't super great at math growing up. And so number, the idea of numbers or stats kind of scared me. And then when I realized, wait a second, everything, I, everything that I want has to do with a number. There's numbers associated with the coffee that I bought. There's numbers associated with the stats of a podcast or the revenue or the profitability. And if you can just not be scared of numbers and really honestly even saying, Hey, I got, I'm at a five today. You don't have to be at like a, Oh, I'm an average. What does average mean? No, I'm at a five today. I'm going to commit to a number. That's where I'm at. Ideally tomorrow is a six. Like what could we do to make it a six? And then you can improve it. And it actually feels like you can control your life instead of just always feeling like there's just stuff that isn't able to be identified clearly. And that's the biggest thing that I introduced, even with our teams and stuff, was just like really allowing people to know like, okay, I am at, it's much easier for me to say I'm at max capacity today. Only come to me with the things that are really, really priority. Otherwise, push them to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And allowing everyone to just be very, like being very transparent. Like we would use um, the capacities in like a 10. Like if I'm at a 10, let's say I have back-to-back podcasts and all these pieces. And I have some deadlines that I need to get. Well, if you're thinking, wait till Friday or two days down the line, wait till Friday then, like, you know, and focus on some other things first and just really being upfront with everybody. Because I think the biggest 
the biggest um, place that you can shoot yourself in the foot when you have a you know multi-million dollar business and you have team is you become a bottleneck if you're not careful. So one, creating systems to mean that they can get on with things themselves and empowering them to do those pieces, but also admit when you are a bottleneck. So either you can change the system or you can be like, hang on a minute, like these are my days when I'll be like reviewing stuff and otherwise don't come to me on these days because I cannot perform at my A game when I'm switching between or context switching between financials and let's say podcasts or financials and you know creative work that needs a different part of me so just being really really I use the numbers in so many different ways just to help like quantify what I'm doing how I'm feeling and where I'm at I love that speaking of teams teams are Normally my favorite thing to talk about when we're not talking about numbers. So I would love to know how could we tie numbers and teams together? Uh, I guess, okay, maybe like a pop quiz on how many people you've hired, fired, and your favorite experience with developing your skill set as a leader of people. Oh my God. I don't even know how many people I've hired and fired. Okay, great. Forget the numbers on that. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's it's enough to have gained a lot of experience in it. Yes. And um for sure. I one of the reasons one of the tips I would give though when it comes to team, like building teams is like my favorite thing. I did a um we done the principles of you um personality quiz, um Ray Dalio's. It's really oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I've done, I did that one. And then I did, it was another one I did, but essentially a lot of my skill sets too are um, in being like a promoter. I'm really good at like motivating teams and getting everyone rowing in the right, same position. Um, so that for me, I like, that's why I like creating businesses that inspire because when you get people behind missions um, they will work, first of all, so much harder. Second of all, happy workforces are like 30 to 40% more productive, research has shown time and time again. So it's really, really important to invest in those pieces. And so I think I'm most proud of um, cultures that I've created where people almost kind of show up to that business as if it is their own. Like they really care because they are driven completely by a mission. But one of the things that has helped me on my journey of managing teams the most, and this was what I learned really early on, like a first year of Boss Babe, I realized that I actually didn't have that much like um, managerial experience. I did, but not like on the scale that I was starting to need. And so I hired this woman to teach me a little bit more about leadership. Like I did a leadership course and she spoke about handing the ball back to someone. And she said, what you'll find with employees is they try and throw you the ball consistently and they'll throw it. They might throw it back, like not even into your hands. They'll throw it by your feet and you have to pick it up. And she's like, but the worst thing you can do as a leader is hold on to the ball because guess what? Now you have 20 employees throwing you the balls, 30 employees. And so your job is to learn to give the ball back to them. And to when someone tries to like ask you questions, even if it's like, hey, what do you think about this? Okay, well, what do you think about it? Let Get them used to solving all of their own problems with their own solutions and then give them feedback on their sol solutions. So then that was probably one of the biggest things um, that allowed me to grow and scale in my career personally was having this concept of, you know, 
giving the ball back and not making sure I was holding too many balls um, at once that, that weren't mine. Sure, as leaders, you have your own balls. Like I only, I only have my hands full of balls. Don't give me yours as well. <laughs> Let me like help you and learn how to catch yours better. Um, that was always like a concept that I found was really power empowering. I love that. I talk about them as monkeys where your team members mm. will like in a one-on-one bring you their monkey that's like going crazy and like throwing shit at the wall and like hanging off of the rafters and after each and every one-on-one as a leader if you don't know how to have a one-on-one and nobody freaking teaches you this shit if you don't know how to do it you're just like taking all these monkeys and at the end of the day I just have this visual of like these monkeys just like flying around your office and that's what it really feels like without knowing how to manage it and really structure it i'm gonna steal the monkey one i like that that's way that has a better image than my ball one (laughs) i like like imagining them in like little diapers and like they're cute but they're like angry i like the monkeys make me happy (laughs) i'm definitely on board for that and like you know there's there's more monkeys and they're running more riot the bigger your business builds and you know i i also think that's the beauty of listening to podcasts where there's other entrepreneurs and it's like look you know we're all here to build amazing businesses that create impact and everyone's building businesses with systems and ways of doing things but you know what there's always a monkey trying to tear down that system there's always some monkey going rogue and just to like be really forgiving with yourself as you're building like if you have some monkeys running around like everyone does (laughs) like there's always there's always someone hanging off a chandelier somewhere (laughs) totally but it's okay and that almost goes to this idea of business owner prioritization it's like there are certain things in your business, if we were thinking about it as like a, a literal office space, like there are certain areas of your office that a monkey cannot be like throwing shit at the wall. Like the monkey, if it, which it does, it's to be in the back corner and it's like, it's handled to an extent, you know, it's there. Yeah, it's confined. It's not 100%. I could not agree more. And it's like prioritization is a thing also that is the biggest skill set. I think team leadership, because you have to build a team that is inspired. No business is built on its own. But then prioritization, your ability to prioritize things as a leader is again something that always makes and breaks your business. If you cannot see what is an urgent buyer and what is actually okay, that one can wait. It's like that again um is something that is so so important like skill set there's a lot of these skill sets i think building businesses that no one really speaks about because yes you have to understand marketing strategy like i am sat in i had sat in every seat at this point at boss babe like everything from operations to finance to product to content to marketing all of them and really the glue that holds all those things together is the team and is prioritization of the team. Like really you have like, you know, very few jobs as a CEO or COO, but your key jobs are really about that vision and setting that vision and then understanding how you deploy resources to it. And then understanding, you know, hiring the talent to, you know, execute on those um, parts. And then also prioritization. You have to be able to say, you know what, this is no longer a priority and we're deviating. Um, So, one of those things come into team for me as well. Do you have a favorite prioritization hack or thing that you do that helps you be as structured as you can? Yeah. So my, I was fortunate enough to spend like quite a bit of time with Tony Robbins in the like 
um, we would affiliate to them previously. So they're like groups of 10, which was just amazing. And I actually learned from him a lot about not trying to prioritize in my head. I think I did the classic um, early stage entrepreneur thing, which was like, where you try to solve problems in your head versus writing them down. So what I tend to do now for prioritization is to write everything down. And then if I'm really, if I'm really feeling sassy about it, I put it in a spreadsheet and I write down time that it's going to take the team, profitability of like, um, like doing that project. Um, and then even if you just had those two, there's other ones that I add to it, but even if you just go time that's going to take the team and profitability, you can quickly see where your priorities need to lie. And like, okay, that is actually not even going to be a profitable, um, task for us to do anymore so let's can it and let's start again the other thing that I think a lot of people fail on is being able to shut a door entrepreneurs traditionally tend to be like very enthusiastic of people we like new things we like challenges we like you know lots of opportunity versus like you know being able to shut doors down and be like no we're not doing that anymore even though we might have done the research we might have even got started like it's not working the market shifted you know, the economy is now in a different place than when we actually started this project. So it's no longer going to be going to be a service and it's no longer going to be viable. So we're okay cutting our losses. And so really realizing that having a space for myself um, to do that was always really important. I love that. Well, speaking of priorities, I know that there is a massive shift taking place in your world. I would love it if you could share with the listeners what's happening and a little bit more behind why you're making this this pivot. Yeah, so I recently um, decided to exit from Boss Babe, which was such a difficult decision for me because I've like been so, so passionate about it. But when you are running companies like you both big visionaries, like particularly when you're in co-founder relationships, you have to have exactly the same vision. <clears throat> you have to have exactly the same vision for the company. And we just didn't through lifestyle. And when we first met, Natalie and I were very, very similar. We had very, very like family situations that were similar. We like, you know, both were living in LA as we kind of like, as I moved over here. And we just realized that we had visions, different visions for where we wanted to take Boss Babe. And ultimately, I've always treated Boss Babe kind of like a little bit like a baby. Like it deserves the best. Like it's its own life form. It's not about us. It is about like what's best for the business. And so with this, we kind of went backwards and forwards on, you know, who is going to be, um, you know, what was going to be the best way forwards. But ultimately, I'd started also seeing some, I was getting excited about some other projects um, that I had been working on seeing shifts in the market and I think that's something that's really um, was one of my strengths is being able to kind of have foresight into you know what is changing and what is developing and how can I be part of that and so I really also identified that you know where we've been through this era of acquisition being from business to business so businesses really investing in um, let's say Facebook ads or Instagram ads. So you've been acquiring customers via another business, should we say? I really started seeing that obviously since the everyone's in this since the iOS update shifted. But there's different ways that now you know you can still acquire customers that way, but they're really expensive. And I really started seeing that you know whereas before people were kind of buying products through these recommendations now what's really taken hold is communities and people buying products based on you know smaller 
you know, trusted communities. And so I wanted to create a place where communities could thrive because I've been building on Kajabi, I've been building on Circle, I've been building on all these products for years, like all the, the dis like the dysfunction between a Facebook group over here and then a desktop app and content and product over here. And I was like, you know what, this doesn't, this doesn't work for either the owner or quite honestly, the customer as well. Um, so I've been working on a SaaS product called Member Up um, with my other co-founders as well, Amy's one. Um, we've got Hunter, Grant, Ross, Danielle, and really just seeing what we were learning in that market. And so we built a um, SaaS platform where you can host your communities and it's beautifully designed and you get to like customize it in all those ways because I really think you know we built these huge massive audiences but people again starting to then lose connection or they don't feel safe to actually feel like they're connected again so I think we've kind of gone from like one extreme where everyone was isolated to okay now we've opened up this huge communities on and followers that are so big that actually hang on a minute now we want those little bit smaller craving spaces and you know maybe a little bit less toxicity than what we're seeing on the open platforms and lines so that's the thing I've been really excited about and then also I always say like I was never a natural marketer um, I learned to be a good marketer and I realized there's a formula to marketing which I think a lot of people don't speak about so um, I decided to write a newsletter every single Tuesday called um, the two percent um, which is actually also it's for men and women but I founded it because statistically wise only two percent of women's businesses get to seven figures and I thought that was stupid so we needed to change that um, so I founded that newsletter which I released just marketing strategy tips for anyone who's building businesses like what's working like I broke down even just like don't case studies in there like, like why okay why did Barbie manage to do a billion dollars like what were their marketing strategy or hang on a minute what am I seeing working in the market right now what am I seeing between buying emails via sponsorships or you know actually working with influencers so every week I just digest stuff that I'm seeing is working or isn't working in the market so those are my little Amazing. projects <laughs> so a couple of questions how can people sign up to the two percent newsletter yes I will give you guys a link it's just you can come to my Instagram account Danielle Canty and there's links in the bio or you can do danielle-canty.com forward slash newsletter um, like I said, it's completely free and it goes out every single Tuesday. And then I'll also give you guys a discount code to member up as well. I'll get that with memberup.com, but I'll give you guys a link and then you can use that for some like free trials and stuff as well. Beautiful. So is member up officially live and launched? It's live and launched. Um, it's, it's going. Um, so yeah, really, really excited. So there are lots of new features coming as well. And yeah, I'm excited about the journey. I have so much respect for your ability to pivot. This is the, I feel like pivot was the thing like two and a half years ago, but really when you look at your career from chiropractic to <laughs> boss babe, now you're going to take over the SaaS platform world. It really is amazing that you're just like, okay, great. I'm here. I'm going to do great things. I have confidence in myself and I'm going to execute. And it really, it really is admirable. Thank you. No regrets. And, you know, as we were kind of sharing earlier, like there's no sacrifices, just doing our thing and having impact. And that honestly is what excites me. So um, I like, I like the challenges. I'm not here for a quiet life, Natalie. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast, guys, make sure you check out the links in the description so that you can get signed up. I'm going to sign up right now for 2% newsletter because I want to know all of the things 
that this amazing woman is seeing with marketing trends right now. And then also for her platform, this will change how businesses are able to connect with their communities, it's businesses and influencers. Yeah, anyone who's beautiful businesses and influencers, we have like real estate people using it. And we have influencers who are building their communities on it. We have educators. Um, yeah, it's actually been really interesting seeing some of the case studies come through of how people want to be utilizing it. So it's exciting. Well, I know that our businesses have all of those needs and uh, a real reason to connect with you and your platform. So guys, do not forget to do that. And thank you for being on the show. Appreciate you, Natalie. Thanks for having me here.